Discontented Media presents Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, an original podcast series with Mark Hunter and Arthur Van Pelt. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, in which we delve into the stories that we don't have time to examine in the monthly episodes, but which demand more investigation. This month, we're holding our second Ask Arthur Anything, where you, our wonderful listeners, get to ask anything you like of our resident Craig Wright expert, Arthur Van Pelt, on any subject under the sun. Fortunately, the vast majority of people want to know things about Craig Wright and BSV rather than what Arthur's wearing, which is probably a good thing for everybody. (laughs) Arthur, are you ready for our listeners' questions? (laughs) Yes, sir, I am. Thanks for having me as always, uh, Mark. Always a pleasure, always a pleasure. Nice to do something a bit different as well this time. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yep. Okay, so the first question comes from Claude via email and he asks... What would need to happen for a US, UK or European law court to say to Craig Wright enough is enough for misusing their legal system? Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good question. If you, if you ask mm. me, he has been um, getting away with way too much already. That, uh, that started already in the ATO uh, times in 2013, 14, 15. He had a narrow escape to, uh, to London uh, in December. Uh, 2015 but yeah when when is enough is enough i i good question good question contempt we see him narrowly escaping uh, contempt cases Mm -hmm. Uh, they come but also they go and there should be at some point a case where all his forgeries all his lies all his false declarations and his perjury in, in in court during depositions it should all be yeah wipe together and bring against him in one big case but because it's spread over well a few handful of cases by now probably nobody is uh, interested in uh, in doing that on the other hand i'm not sure if it's any day maybe not this year maybe next year but it, it's gonna happen that this guy with his total build up his his whole oeuvre of of lies and forgeries he will at some point he will not he will not escape Coming down to like fundamental things, it's surely a human right to file a lawsuit if you feel you've been aggrieved and it's then up to the court itself to say whether they believe you or not. I don't think you could say to somebody, no, you've filed too many frivolous lawsuits, you're not allowed to file any more. That, I'm assuming, would be a breach of his human rights or something along those lines. So I'd imagine there's no way he would be prevented from filing a lawsuit, but you would hope that as you say, if these things pile up and pile up, he'll clear fewer and fewer hurdles. So what you should find, hopefully, is in the courts where he's done this, where he's been, you know, gone through the contempt of court proceedings or at a very basic level, had lots of lawsuits tossed really early on, that they get tossed even earlier because they have got this build-up. But then the other argument is you're not allowed to bring in um, things from prior cases. Mm. So again, this, this is very legal stuff as far as I'm concerned. Those are the mazes of the of the law that uh, Craig Wright is using to keep on continuing with his uh, legal spree. Mm-hmm. And the, the the most logical person to start suing him for a massive fraud, with 
of course, the ATO uh, already. But on the other hand, Calvin Air, mm-hmm. but he's not ready yet to do that, would also be a person that could uh, bring everything uh, together and say, Craig, I have had enough of you. I'm pulling the plug. And instead, I <laughs> take you to court. My feeling with those two is that there's a case of mutually assured destruction there. They'll never start anything because they could both take each other down. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably. All right, thank you. So on to two questions from someone that would like to remain anonymous. The first question, how does Lightning stack up today versus BSV in almost no-cost microtransactions? And how sustainable are BSV's layer one microtransactions with the price drop to one sat per kilobyte? That is not really in my comfort zone to make detailed judgments uh, about, uh, to be honest. Uh, I am... Let's say I'm a little bit more on a, on a more umbrella, somewhat higher level looking at uh, things. The Lightning Network has more adoption. That is that is no doubt with me. Looking at the nodes and how much BTC is uh, locked up in in channels of uh, of Lightning Network. What are your thoughts on the ramifications of them dropping this one one sat per kilobyte? Dropping to this one sat per kilobyte. That is more an economical uh, decision. Who is uh, suffering uh, there is especially uh, Tal and uh, QDLNK, the, the two uh, largest uh, mining pools. Uh, and they fall both under uh, Calvin Air, uh, mm-hmm. as is probably a public. Uh, let's say a public secret for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Kelvin Air is uh, controlling uh, 98% of the mining operations on uh, on BSV. Well, that means that uh, when they decide to drop uh, to such a low uh, fee level, there is no organic adoption anyway. So those miners who are dependent on uh, block subsidy and mining fees, then the mining fees are getting even lower. The block subsidy is uh, is already very low because the BSV price is uh, almost nothing uh, these days. It has mm. been close to, uh, I think, between 450 to $500 once. And now uh, it's hovering around $40. And we've even seen uh, a crash a few weeks ago that it was flash crashing to $15. Mm. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that it's going back to $15 uh, any day now. So the same person also asked, what are your thoughts on how Tal shareholders were treated when the company was taken private last year, even before the price drop? Uh, I've never been, of course, a t- shareholder, so I could not fully judge <laughs> what a surprise. Those, uh, those numbers, uh, those numbers in, uh, in, in detail. But it felt as a moment that Kelvin Air took uh, Tal private uh, exactly at the moment when they had to uh, publish the new uh, figures for the quarter. That must have been a disaster that they I'm did. so sure about it. They and did. they have never recovered. So what is what is happening there? They keep, uh, they're beating a dead horse and they, they are keeping a corpse alive. So have the shareholders been treated right back then? Yeah, probably they are because the next step is that they're going bankrupt if, uh, <laughs> if Calvin Air is pulling the plug. Wasn't there a point when Calvin Air was saying something along the lines of, Either don't buy BSV or buy BSV as well as Tal shares. I'm sure he was saying that a few years ago. He was like, if you want to really make the most of investing in the ecosystem, buy Tal shares as well as BSV. Mm. And so let's say the average BSV person buys in on both. They've just seen both of them plummet. And then he just whips them off the stock market mm. <laughs> just when he feels like it and forces them to take a loss. Yeah, That's yeah. just, it, it's shocking, but unsurprising. 
Ja, nee, de, 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 in, in, in a sense that is shocking, but on, in, in the other sense, he is now taking all the losses of the trajectory after taking Tal from, uh, from the market. Mm-hmm. True. So he is now the only person uh, suffering. So in a way, he saved a bunch of, uh, of shareholders uh, when, when he took <laughs> Tal from, uh, from the market, because it only went downhill after that again. He saved them from more misery. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so our next question is also from an anonymous listener. Arthur, what is your favourite Craig Wright tale and why? E.g. signing sessions, one fix wallet, MJF mining, etc. Ooh, yeah, that's always a good one. There's so many to choose from. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many to choose from. But I definitely have a favourite one. And those who follow me a bit closely, they probably know what I'm going to say now. When I decided that in March 2019 to start mapping out uh, the fraud and lies of Craig Wright. I had a friend in Australia, Jimmy007 for sure, was his name on Twitter. He is sometimes still still a bit active, but back then he was a little bit more active and we cooperated. Somehow we met each other and we cooperated uh, for a bit and we decided to do uh, several things together. One of those things that we did together was reading an article and in that article there were several flaws and lies and he said, I will take this part and I said, oh, I, I think I can figure this part out. And there was one thing in that article that was called Microsoft Patch Tuesday. Mm -hmm. That was a lie that he told about how the Genesis block was formed and how block one after that was formed several days later. And in between his network dropped from uh, from the face of the earth because of Microsoft Patch Tuesday was installing uh, Microsoft patches and that brought his network down. So he had to recreate a network in the meanwhile, the Genesis block was already created, but block one took took several days later. Now, and I figured out Genesis block was formed on January the 3rd. Block one was formed on January the, what was it? I think the 9th. And then Microsoft Patch Tuesday, this global rollout of patches by Microsoft was on January the 13th. That means that either Genesis block or block one, that whole period in between, nothing happened that was related to Microsoft Patch Tuesday. So this was such a crazy fuck up of Craig Wright, a Mm -hmm. crazy lie to, to impress his audience with Oh, I'm into IT. I'm into Bitcoin, and I don't know about the Genesis block, and blah 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 blah. But in fact, it was a major fuck up, and I was, and I'm still proud until today mm. that I figured that out. And uh, I still remember that first tweet that I did back then. I think it was in April 2019, because I think it was an article that was just as recent uh, uh, back then. It went pretty viral. And yeah, again, I'm still proud that I figured that one out. Great stuff. For me, I really do have a soft spot for the pineapple hack. It's funny because until he started using it to really push against the developers and and, and make their lives a misery, I thought it was just going to be like a silly, stupid thing. And, And if you take out 
the potential consequences of that. Everything from the one Feeks wallet and the ownership of that, everything that goes behind that, mm. the fact he's had to change his story and bring in this stupid purchase from this Russian exchange, mm. every step of the way, it's such an obvious fabrication. It's such an obvious story of someone having to jump from one line to the next just to keep the plate spinning. Yep. And then you come to this hack itself. And I mean, like I've said countless times, the fact that it wasn't even reported in the local newspaper, the police are washed their hands of it I, <laughs> yeah. it's just and yet this is the biggest hack in britain but he just refuses to talk about it if it wasn't yeah. for the fact that he was able to use that as the springboard for what he's doing it would just be the most laughable thing and i am still toying with the idea of doing a separate series just on the one fix situation and the pineapple hack when this is said and done it's you know it's just there's so much more to it if i could ever speak to someone in the surrey police i'd I'd love to you probably read all my articles uh, by now but one of my long form articles is about uh, the, the whole history of uh, one fix and uh, yeah exactly and it all plays into it and this is the thing with craig wright you can take anything he's doing right now and trace it like a lineage you know you can go on it's like a dna ancestry thing you can trace any incident now back through its parents to the original like adam and eve the tulip trust and and, and the the ato investigations yeah you can trace everything back step by step can't you yeah yeah but yeah there are so many storylines that i can also imagine that for some people it's like okay this is a bit overwhelming and then for some people when they when they just skip the 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 part of uh, well this is too overwhelming i just ignore it Mm -hmm. i just believe that he is satoshi you're you're crazy doing that Mm -hmm. but yeah that's another story but you can also say hey i only know already the stylometry the hundreds of forgeries and a few of those things hey this guy is just not satoshi and then they're done with him and i think that is what is uh, the majority of people in uh, in the bitcoin and and outside the bitcoin community is uh, is doing despite what uh, the bsv fans uh, think that he is widely accepted as uh, satoshi no it's the other way around he is widely accepted as not being satoshi because mm. based on either one or two things or the overwhelming evidence everyone knows that he is no good news exactly exactly Okay, on to the next question, which is from Charlie, uh, a Dr. Bitcoin Supporters Club member uh, via email. And he asks, what's the status of Craig Wright's ATO investigation? I believe his debts were settled by Calvin Eyre, but it seems they are still investigating him. I think they are, aren't they? He said. Yeah, that is what I also expect. Uh, To be completely fair, we cannot put our finger... Uh, behind it because I know a few people who have been trying to figure that out and uh, and contact the ATO but they do not provide uh, information uh, which makes sense of course no I've tried yeah you are one of them indeed uh, and they try to find out uh, what the ATO is saying about it but of course they won't say anything about running investigations either if they are closed or not no my opinion and and my opinion is very very strong is that I am 99.99% sure that the investigation is still running. They take very long with the ATO, easily 10 years, so eh, after the first findings of uh, fraud. So it's uh, that was in 2013. Now, at uh, 10 years minimum, then we are in, well, actually this year. So it can easily take one or two years more before the ATO is going to strike and going to hold him accountable for, uh, for his fraud. But why are they still uh, going after him? Because the fraud is 
too massive. It is so massive what this guy has been doing with uh, forging emails, lying, making up stories. Uh, and even if all the tax returns that he had have been paid back, that does not change the fact that there has been a criminal fraud. And maybe they have been uh, managing to grab all the money back but that, that, that does not change that there is still a criminal running around. And we know for a fact that in 2018, they were still uh, going after him from a letter that uh, was filed in the Climate versus Right case, that some Melanie Johnston, if I remember her name well, was still on an, on an in criminal inquiry on, uh, on Craig Wright and was asking information from uh, Ira Kleiman's council, if they could contact either the council itself or Ira Kleiman, I think Ira Kleiman, for information. Well, then we are talking 2018 here. That means that if you run away in 2015, they closed the civil uh, part of their inquiries in 2016, because that is where we know that the last civil reports of uh, of the ATO have been, uh, have been made, at least the ones that have become public, roughly between one, one and two handfuls, uh, have become public uh, over time. But then uh, two years later, they are still doing a criminal investigation. Now, then, then for me, my gut's feeling, and, and I trusted that, like I said, for 99.99% uh, that they are still on him. So we've got a few questions now from Ed Gotham on Twitter. His first question is, what is the likelihood of Calvin Eyre being investigated by the FCA, which is the British Financial uh, Conduct Authority, or the SEC for market manipulation? Good question. Yeah, good question. And he's openly said it, hasn't he? He's openly said, I'm, I buy BSV here to make it, make sure it doesn't go down any further. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nay. Are they bothered? I mean, for me, in, in general, it is quite clear that BSV by itself is what I would call a security. And they run a chance that uh, at some point the SEC will go uh, after them if they think it will go somewhere because, of course, BSV is now so small and tiny and, and meaningless and irrelevant that uh, why why would uh, the SEC go, go after it? That's what I think. Yes, if it's worth it. The only thing uh, that I can see happen in, in a little bit into that direction, again, we cannot put our fingers behind it, so I'm just making wild guesses now, is that if they figure out that BSV, there is something going on behind the screens, uh, what is, uh, for example, considered uh, money laundering. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I bring this up. I have no proof of it. I have no, it, it's just a wild guess. Uh, but if there, uh, there is uh, international organizations like uh, FBI or whoever is on, on that stuff, if they think it is worthwhile to, uh, to chase Kelvin um, Air for, uh, for those type of things, yeah, then we might see something happen. We don't know. Mm-hmm. This next question, I'm not sure if it's a bit tongue-in-cheek or if it's working on the assumption that the government is somehow looking to... The governments, I should say plural, are looking to bring down Bitcoin. But the question is, should we assume that GCHQ or the CIA have Calvin Air and Craig Wright backwards over a barrel and are using them to disrupt Bitcoin developers? <laughs> it's a bit tinfoil hat for me. 
Yeah, yeah, nice, uh, nice theory. <laughs> I think if there is ever an organization <laughs> trying to do such a thing, they should be able to find better people to do it. But yeah, on the other hand, I must say Kelvin and Craig, they are somewhat annoying, especially because Kelvin has uh, a lot of cash to uh, to throw around. So he is uh, sponsoring a lot of uh, lawsuits and they do have a certain impact in a social way, in a financial way. Uh, into the Bitcoin community, uh, Bitcoin developers who are uh, not so happy anymore. Would there be a bigger organization behind it? I've never come across any any evidence or or even something that even smelled like evidence or or proof of such a a conspiracy theory. So Mm -hmm. I I don't think so. I don't I, I don't think so. No, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you. The last question, um, I've got an answer for this one from my own researches, but I will ask you this one as well, because I want you to answer in case you've heard anything yourself or if you remember anything from the Pineapple Hack defences, those three defences that were put forward the other month. We did the the bonus episode on it. Mm -hmm. So the question is, did the Surrey police ever clarify why they did not pursue the Master Thieves? This is with regards to the Pineapple Hack, obviously. So... Is there anything you've heard, Arthur? Is there anything that you remember from the Pineapple Hack defences that, that pertain to the Surrey Police and their investigation? Nay, to be fair, n- no. I think that is not yet the detailing in these lawsuits. We have seen a particular soft claim, if I say that rightly. Yep. And then there is the first uh, line of defences, and that is on a well let's say high level and that means that did not go into every tiny detail they just say i deny that i reject that i do not agree with that and they keep it somewhat high level how i judge it it's too high level now to make a a fair judgment of uh, what is the status at the surrey police uh, currently in in those inquiries Mm -hmm. yeah so i was pushing for a bit on this as well for a recent podcast episode and for something else as well And I went through a couple of communications teams for the Surrey police who had never heard of the pineapple hack. They had never heard of any cryptocurrency theft of that of that scale. And this is the communications team for, you know, the police force investigating it. So they hadn't (laughs) been told about Mm -hmm. it. So I was passed through a couple of people and I eventually got an email from the communications officer for the counter-terrorism policing in South East and South East England Regional Organised Crime Unit of Thames Valley Police. Mm. Long title. Um, So obviously quite all-encompassing. And I had asked them what was the status of it and they had told me that it was on hold. Mm -hmm. And I asked what on hold meant. Did that basically mean it's been shelled on, on the basis of further information coming to light? And they said they can be on hold for a number of reasons, but essentially it was it was the case that we we can't progress any further with Mm. it for now. And I also was pushing the point of, you know, these guys were supposedly hacking around London. It's it's a team, it's an Ocean's Eleven style team. Why did you not alert the public to this? Why did you not solicit the public for, for witnesses or information? Why is it all being kept under wraps? How is it being kept this quiet? And I'll give you a quote as to what was sent back to me. All investigations are different and not all investigations are made public or have a need to be made public, whether that be by way of an appeal or other means. We wouldn't go into the specifics of why a case was or wasn't made public, so wouldn't look to provide further guidance in relation to this particular case, unquote. So 
you know, standard response, mm. but it speaks volumes what they didn't say and, and what they haven't done. So in answer to the question, did they ever clarify why they didn't pursue it? No. All we know is that they have stopped investigating it and Craig Wright is using the fact that he has filed it with the police and not been done for wasting a police time as his springboard for the case against the developers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a fair assessment of uh, what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect to get anything more than that, but no, but then this will what I said they kept it high level in their defenses, uh, going back to the pineapple hack uh, lawsuit. When we saw the three uh, defenses, they kept it quite uh, high level, just denying that this hack and this uh, stealing of uh, the one fix and, and uh, what was it, 12 IB7 uh, in total, 110,000 uh, BTC. That, uh, that that heck never happened. I would imagine that they are well within their rights to bring to court the police that investigated it. Because if you think of any crime that goes to court that the police were involved in, which is obviously most of them, the police officers who 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 you know the the, the detectives in charge of the case are usually brought in as witnesses, aren't they? Hmm. Um, so there's no reason why we we shouldn't expect much more details on this and much more very heavy questioning over the details of the hacking court. Oh yeah, in that sense, I'm looking forward to that part of this uh, case. That's why I always had mixed feelings about this specific case, but at least the legal bills of the Bitcoin developers are covered, so they don't have the stress of, uh, at least not the financial stress, the emotional stress will still be there probably, um, but at least it does not uh, cause any financial stress uh, anymore uh, for them. And that's why I had mixed feelings about this. For for the legal case itself, eh, the two parts of did this hack even happen? And as a follow-up of that, it's not even a side case. It are actually two, two separate cases next to each other. One, did the hack even happen? And uh, secondly, do the Bitcoin developers have a fiduciary duty uh, for such a thing? I mean, legal-wise... It's super duper interesting. Will he suffer the consequences of lying in court about uh, this whole hack? And will there be earth shaking, uh, earth shattering rulings about the fiduciary duties of uh, open source projects? In that sense, it's it's very it's very interesting. So next we have a few questions from someone whose Twitter handle Arthur I think you'll recognise, Doctor Tufty Sylvestris. Any idea what these might be about? <laughs> he is more the, the brain I'm more the public face but he is more the brain behind uh, what I call <laughs> it's very small of course the mm-hmm. patent war against uh, Craig Wright's uh, patents uh, that he is filing uh, mm-hmm. over the years and uh, what we are doing is well in a way it's major it's, it's for the statement it's major but on the other hand we are just poking into those patents how silly they are how 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 stupid and and, and senseless they are and we try to get them kicked from uh, from the registries before they can do any harm with those patents so yeah this this guy is uh, he is the 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 patent attorney tufty david pierce is his uh, actual name yep um well i think he's given you a chance to plug your work because he says Three questions are all rolled into one. Can we afford to file another patent opposition? Should we file more? And are we getting the message out that Craig's patents are most likely entirely worthless junk? 
<laughs> no, we still have. So here's uh, your platform. <laughs> we still have a few hundred euro uh, in uh, donations. Uh, it's not. It's just not enough because every uh, patent opposition that you want to do at the EPO, the European Patent Office, is 880. Euro and I think we are around 800 or se- between 750 and 800 euros. So we just can't afford them. Uh, those things are 880 euro each, and we already filed I think four by now, three or four by now. Wow! And um, yeah, so we we do that uh, with uh, some co- community uh, support. Uh, currently, we do not have enough for another one. But I'm sure that if uh, either David or me are uh, trying um, another little crowdfunding and uh, we get uh, one, or, one or 200 euro uh, in, in a few days uh, in, in donation and then we can file uh, another one. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that was one question. He had another two, two questions, I think. What was the rest? Yep, the next two were, should we file more and are we getting the message out that Craig's patents are most likely entirely worthless junk? Now, should we file more uh, as a statement? I would say yes. On the other hand, we already filed almost a handful. It's a lot of work, isn't it? It, it is a lot of work, especially for him. He's making a lot of hours mm. read, reading, writing, yeah. uh, com- communicating. I mean, the only thing I have to do is uh, bring in the money and uh, every now and then I have uh, I step in my car and I drive uh, to the to the EPO because I live... Uh, 10, 15 kilometers away uh, from them. So I already mm. went there once uh, to, uh, to file uh, something. Does it make sense to keep doing this? Yeah, yeah, good question. At some point, maybe not because it becomes costly. And when it becomes too costly, you also have to think it's not only the 880 euro. These processes take years mm. for doing an opposition. You have to write a lot. You have to tell them and and provide extra information. And at some point, there might even be live hearings. And live hearings means that you have either... uh, Well, I don't know. David will probably be able to tell that if it is uh, currently also possible to do that uh, with a video link. But otherwise, you have to take a plane and go there and Mm. show up in person to be present at at a live hearing. So then it becomes even more costly and time-consuming. So yeah, how much is it worth it? You will never manage. They already are on, I think, roughly 400 patents. You will never manage to get them all kicked away. That is too much. So let's keep it at, let's say, a handful. We made our statement. We are not afraid of those patents. And they are, in fact, junk. Mm. On the other hand, what we do have to fear, and that is why you want to make a statement, don't be afraid for Camp Craig Wright. That's why we have make a more of a moral or social statement, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to, how to, how to say that, but... Um, the. Don't be afraid. Fight, fight them. Yeah. Because if they ever try to to pull the stunt that they are going to a company and uh, they say, "Hey, we have this patent, and you are uh, infringing our patent, and we want uh, half a million or one million or whatever amount they want," fight it. Mm-hmm. That is our message. Fight it because these patents are junk. In terms of them kind of boasting about their 400 patents and, and, and this sort of thing, which, which Calvin A seems to think that quantity is better than quality. 
this is where actions speak louder than words, I think, because like you say, they always talk it up. They always talk up how they're amazing with their patents and they're going to rule the blockchain world and what have you. Mm. But it's what they actually use them for. And if they make all these claims and they go after tiny, tiny projects, which is Craig Wright said he would do, then, you know, it, it just shows that they don't even believe their own bullshit, do they? If they're just going to go after these, like I say, the, the small fish and keep talking up the Microsofts and the Googles, but stay well clear of them. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now we... Uh, have our silly novelty question from BSV supporters. Are you ready for this one? Well, let's give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from someone going by the Twitter handle one dead one b two, and he asks, "How much money has Jack Dorsey paid Arthur anonymously? Why is receiving anonymous donations from billionaires different from working for them directly?" Oh well, this is something that pops up every now and then because doesn't it just? No, nobody uh, in the BSV camp uh, believes that uh, I and and with me uh, several other people who are uh, also uh, active on uh, mostly Twitter. Uh, I'm probably the most active, especially when you look at my articles uh, where I spend a lot of time and a lot of research. And don't forget uh, the podcast uh, with you, uh, Mark. Huh? We also spent uh, together a lot of time on it. And mm-hmm. uh, you were writing those uh, scripts and I uh, filling in those scripts. So yeah, it, it, it takes time. I do that next to my uh, next to my job, next to my little family. Uh, so yeah, every now and then it's time consuming. And why would I do that for free? Nobody believes that, that I do that for free. Well, I do. I never earned a penny <laughs> from my tweets. I never earned a penny from my articles. Okay, this is not true. I once won one prize with one article of $1,000 because some organization, I think in a Bitcoin wallet, something, they liked my article very much and they gave me $1,000 as a, as a prize money for it. Busted. They're paid by MasterCard. They've got you. <laughs> Yeah, nay. <laughs> I knew it. No, no Mastercard, no Jack Dorsey, no, no Blockstream, <laughs> no, no Meta, no Zuckerberg, and 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 whatever Barry Silbert. I, I have no idea what names they sometimes come up with. Ever paid me a penny for any tweet, any word that I wrote on Medium, on 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 Twitter, and that that is that, that are my main uh, public uh, platforms where I publish my uh, my stuff. So yeah, what can I say? Uh, I don't know Jack Dorsey. I only know Jack Dorsey uh, by uh, his name, uh, what he is doing on uh, on Twitter, but he never paid me a penny. Sorry. <laughs> I do receive every now and then, just because they like my work, community donations. And <laughs> that's also a funny story. In some, in some video I made well, let's say a sort of a sort of mistake that I said I live off community donations or something, and yes. that is just because I, I I was not aware that live off is that you are uh, that your whole household and everything that you do and, mm-hmm. and your whole wealth and everything is that live off. Nay, what I meant with that is that I just sometimes receive a few dozen dollars over the years, a few hundred maybe over the years. It's so small, Mark. I mean, if mm-hmm. if it is if, if if it is two hundred fifty or maybe five hundred dollar over the last three, four, five years, it's it's already way too much. The community donations for the patent wars they are more substantial. Then here we are talking about thousands 
of dollars that we received uh, by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is nothing secret going on. There is nobody being paid by mm-hmm. Mastercards and Blockstreams and and what was it, <laughs> Jack Dorsey's and whatever. Yeah. That that is so much not going on. When my friends got annoyed and bullied. I was like, hey, I can map out your fraud easily. It is in my interest zone to do so. Finance, Bitcoin, fraud, it is all in my interest zone. Writing is in my interest zone. I will help the community to map out and expose uh, all his fraud. And that is just a social motivation and not any financial information whatsoever. What I love about this, there's a few things I want to touch on here, but my first thing is that I love the fact that that they go on about us being paid for this work, and it's it's patently untrue to anyone that understands why we do this, that, that it, that's not the case. And yet, at the same time, they completely ignore all these lightning shark shills mm-hmm. after every CoinGeek post, writing the same thing, just taking the yeah. same bit of text from a CoinGeek article, sticking it in chat yeah. GTP, and reposting it in a tweet with the right hashtags in the right places. Yeah. They are obviously paid. There's so many of them writing the exact same thing. And yet, we are the ones that are told we're being paid. It, it's symptomatic, isn't it, of what, what we're experiencing? Yeah. Just in, in case I haven't explained my side of things ever. I'm not sure I ever have, but I always wanted to do a podcast. I just had no subject to do it on. Um, and I got into crypto in 2017 and I thought, well, there's loads of crypto podcasts out there and I'm new to this. I don't know what, don't know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so when I came across your work and we had a couple of interviews for the Fully Crypto site yeah. um, and we, we, we got into this, you know, it, it's, it just got me thinking this, this could be the thing that I do. I dive into and I do yeah. my podcast about and... Yeah. I think anyone that knows a little bit about the effort we put into this, that that knows the the quality of the writing that that I'm trying to do for this, can see that I am in this for the love of doing it, for the project, for the fact that yeah. I'm a creative yeah. person. I want to create something. I want to create some kind of lasting, you know, impact. Yeah. It's partly that, and it's partly that this story is so huge and so unknown. You know, any any yeah. writer, any journalist one of a better word i'm not i don't class myself as a journalist but i kind of what i do roughly wants to break the big story so if yeah. i can be if we can be the person behind this big story that we know has got legs and that it's just it's, so we really want people to hear it that's yeah. that's the yeah. that's the drive we've got money coming in from this from the subscriptions but almost all of it goes out in, in terms of the the fees for the website for the the podcast for the equipment all that sort of stuff yep. you know i might have made like you may have made a few hundred every now and again, but anyone that listens to this and thinks that I'm doing this for the money is completely wrong. (laughs) All our listeners can understand that we are not uh, only talking about this. We know each other now for several years, and Mm -hmm. of course we have ideas, and we are only waiting for the right party to, to cross lines with us that is also willing to put some effort in it to bring out this story. And then you are talking about in most cases, more substantial money. Of course, I'm not going to say no to that. I mean, I'm not stupid. No, but put a lot of work into this. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. So if that is ever being paid, and then not by Jack Dorsey or another billionaire that is uh, against uh, Craig Wright or something, but just for the interesting, for the social context, for the fraud, for the 
for the for the lawsuits i mean it has so many angles how how you can approach this beautiful story of a guy that started as a little tax fraud and grew out uh, to a cult leader with an affinity fraud uh, copy of uh, of bitcoin and is chasing billions in uh, the bitcoin industry i mean wow mm. <laughs> this it's a crazy story that deserves an, an, a netflix series of like two or three episodes i mean yeah. Come on, <laughs> but it, it it has to catch the right party that is going to do it, and then I would be happy to take uh, some some time off and 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 be available for such a thing, and of course catch some euros or dollars for for such a story. But that is not that, and it ha- it has never been the the main driver for me to do this story. The main driver was, hey man. You're fucking with my friends. Yeah. I don't like that so much. And I'm going to tickle you for a bit and make the world uh, aware of what a what a fraud, what what a what a scammer you actually are. And that was the main driver. And then money comes secondary or tertiary uh, in the end. I mean, the last thing I'll say on this and, and to wrap up this podcast is that no one accuses um, Kim Nilsson, for example, of being paid by someone who's, you know, uh, uh, anti Mount Gox to expose Mark Carpeles. No one, no one accuses him of taking money on the side for doing that. Mm. No one says that the guys that did the Crypto Queen podcast series, no one says that they are taking money for doing what they do. Mm. It's just because what we do, the opposition we face, is so cult-like that mm-hmm. they, like you say, they cannot believe that the driving force is the moral good, if you like, the, the desire to get the story out. Yep. So we're the ones that are getting all this in the neck and they just happen to have this this lovely boogeyman in the corner that, that's, that's pulling all the strings. Yep. But none of these other guys are being tarred with the same brush that we are, which says it all really, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's funny. Okay, well, that wraps things up for this month's bonus episode. Don't forget you can now get access to all our bonus content dating back to 2021 through a monthly or lifetime subscription to the Dr. Bitcoin Supporters Club, which also gets you early access to the monthly episodes and first dibs when it comes to things like this. For more information and to sign up, head to drbitcoinpod.com. That's drbitcoinpod.com. Arthur, thank you so much for answering our listeners' questions in so much detail. You're welcome as ever, Mark. And uh, hopefully we'll do this again sometime. Yes, sir. Cheers, mate. See you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice to get these episodes the moment they drop. And if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd really appreciate a star rating and even a review to help us get this out to as many people as possible. Our monthly bonus episodes are available to download from our website for a small consideration. And if you'd like to access all these bonus episodes, plus these monthly updates a few days early and other goodies, you can do so by becoming a Dr. Bitcoin supporter through Patreon or Spotify. See the details in the show notes for information on how to do this, or head to our website, drbitcoinpod.com. That's drbitcoinpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at DrBitcoinPod and you can email us at DrBitcoinPod at gmail.com. That's DrBitcoinPod at gmail.com. Thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. You've been listening to Dr. Bitcoin. 
The Man Who Wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. Written by Mark Hunter, with additional material by Arthur Van Pelt. Editing and production by Mark Hunter. This has been a Contented Media Production.